So like Rob said, we are on the home stretch of the Right Side Up series on the Sermon on the Mount. Who's enjoyed it and been really challenged by it besides me? Oh my goodness, totally. It's been so good to hear from the different voices in our church family on this series, like Rob, Wendy, and Noah, um, Bernie, um, and Michael. It's been absolutely incredible. And next week, Rob is going to wrap this whole thing up. Now, during this series, we have covered some meaty as topics like law, grace, missions, lust, love, hate, murder, adultery, marriage, divorce, um, your enemies, the poor, prayer, anxiety, um, money, materialism, heaven and hell. And we ain't done yet. We're going to go. So the reality is we could spend a whole year going through these three passages in Matthew. We really could. It's the greatest sermon ever written, well, ever spoken and written in the Bible. Every um, line is so complex and layered, and these 12 verses that we're diving into tonight are no different. Um, so let's set the scene and remind ourselves um, who, what, when, where. Um, it's early in Jesus's ministry. He has just chosen the 12 disciples. Um, and at the end of Matthew chapter four, it says that Jesus goes throughout Galilee. He's teaching the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and sickness among the people and news about him spread all throughout Syria. And the crowds, masses of crowds are following Jesus. So he goes up a mountainside, sits down and his disciples come to him and he starts to teach them. So his primary audience are the disciples. Although Jesus is aware of the crowds and the religious leaders that have come to check him out. And Jesus starts to blow their minds as he starts to teach them about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And we see Jesus declare that kingdom message all throughout Matthew's gospel, that the kingdom of God is here. And we have been learning about what it means and what it looks like to live in this radical, countercultural, right side up kingdom. And I love what Michael Brown said last week that Jesus has been addressing some of the symptoms. And now he's going after the wound and addressing the sickness inside all of us. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of our issues. And the main issue and what plagued the people is that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, had turned what was originally intended to be a relationship with God, it had become a religion about God. It had morphed and become about an impossible religious standard of rule keeping that no one could follow, not even them. And these religious leaders would condemn and judge a person's inability to live up to that standard. Get that right. And what Jesus is trying to do is to move them, the disciples and the people, from religion to relationship, from mere information about God 
to a transformational relationship with God and with each other. And like Wendy said last week, man, she's a little firecracker. Um, I mean, at week two, sorry. Um, she's amazing. That when Jesus says all the time during the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said by the religious leaders. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And he says that he's trying to teach the disciples to unlearn some stuff. In essence, to unlearn religion to unlearn how you relate to God and how you relate to each other. Now it's important to remember that when Jesus first gave this sermon on that mountainside, there were no chapters and verses. It's not like Jesus says, now we're gonna to turn to chapter seven, verse one. No, it's one continual conversation, one continual stream of thought. And we ended last week with Jesus saying not to worry, or be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what you will drink. Now Jesus is gonna turn the conversation to don't worry about what your brother is doing. And on that, let's pray. Thank you God that your presence is here. And I love that, that you dwell with your people amazing. And God, help us not take that lightly. So God, tonight as we delve into some really serious, hard scriptures, and God, I always seem to get those ones. Um, would you just, God, um, speak to our hearts, crack us wide open. And God, I pray that tonight people would hear your heart hear you. God, I just pray that I would reflect that that I would honor you in that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Have your way, have your way, have your way in this place and in our hearts. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So the first couple of verses that we are going to read in chapter seven are probably some of the most quoted scriptures and commonly used phrases by non-Christians and Christians alike. Can you guess what it is? <laughs> it's this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Or as the King James Version says, and in my best JD voice, because he's got a great voice for radio, is judge not lest you be judged. You, um, and you can run for the exits now because it's going to get a little bit rough in here. So... I mean, how relevant is that scripture in our culture right now? We hear it and we say it all the time. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. And like Michael said to me last week, that should terrify you. <laughs> that should terrify that only God can judge you. And like it or not, we can all relate to that verse. And whether you have been or felt misjudged unfairly or you have unfairly misjudged someone else, we can have a tendency to assume things and come to conclusions about people in a minute, in a minute. Like take these people in these ads. If you could cue that. She has a fractured fibula, given well, Saturday. So I could be able to go home tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. What? 
reaching, Doctor. Hello? How much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Did you hear me? You're getting robbed. So I don't know if you can relate to any of those scenarios and maybe that would be a great conversation for you to have at the table as we share a meal together. But wait for me because I want to hear your stories. Um, but man, oh man, we can pass judgment on situations and people without knowing the whole story. So confession time. I remember when my daughter Mallory called me out on this very thing. She was 14 or 15 year olds at the time and she was going to an Easter camp with a youth group called Primal um, that she had recently become a part of. And Mallory and I pulled up to the bus, bus drop-off point for this camp. And then I saw all these Primal youth, youth group kids. And as I looked out at them, I quickly locked the doors of the car. <laughs> these teenagers didn't look like your typical youth group, no. They were tatted up pierced up, flesh holes in their ears, crazy hairstyles, hair colors, dreads, combat boots, guys and girls alike wearing heavy black eyeliner. It was a total emo fest. Oops, go back. Emo fest. Now that looks cool now, but then it was new and it was en masse. And I was like, say what? No way. And I actually um, said to Mallory, you ain't getting out of this car. <laughs> you are not going to that camp. It's not safe. And Mallory, she is the sweetest and kindest girl. She still is. Was like, mom, these people are the most passionate, hard out Christians you will ever meet. Come on, get out of the car and let me introduce you. And I did. And she was right. The kids I met were amazing. Absolutely amazing. And yes, they loved Jesus passionately. And many of them are still in ministry involved in churches today. I had misjudged and assumed the worst without knowing anything about them, any facts. And I did it within seconds, man, absolute seconds. And I would hate if the situation were reversed. We all would. We can quickly pass judgment on people, on their physical appearance, their wardrobe, hello preacher sneakers. Craig has talked about this before. Anybody, anybody know what that is? Have you guys heard of that? I'll tell you, it's, an in, it's on Instagram and it's run by these self-proclaimed fashion police. They critique the wardrobe of famous Christian speakers and preachers and post how much their sneakers and clothes are worth online. And everybody weighs in on it. I mean, how crazy is that? We pass judgment on people's appearance, their behavior, whether they're sick or healthy, the neighborhood they live in, their occupation, their ethnicity, political views, religious affiliation, education, single, married, divorced, rich or poor, young or old, and I could go on and on and on. Now, when we say, don't judge me, what we are really saying is don't criticize me, compare me to anyone or anything, or confront me on anything that I do. And can I just clarify that that word to judge can mean a wide variety um, depending on the context, like judging or evaluating the distance between point A and point B, 
or like exercising wise judgment or discernment when making an informed decision or making a judgment to discern between what's good and what's bad or what's good and what's best. Those are all positive forms of judgment. But this is not the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the way we judge others. Like when we size people up and write them off based on all sorts of reasons. And the way we use social media, it is so much easier now to size people up, write them off, criticize and judge people on a global scale now. Christians and non-Christians alike do this and the world is noticing. I remember reading an article about one of the largest surveys ever done by the Barner Group and Pew Research, that's P-E-W, and they're Christian organizations. And they polled tens of thousands of non-Christians and asked them several different questions, and one of them being to pick two words that describe the Christians that you know. And can you guess what those two words were? judgmental and hypocritical. It's like amazing. I mean, they, there was even a book written about it called Unchristian by Dave, David Kinnaman. I think we have a tendency to forget the other part of the verse. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus is not done. Because he goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now you can tell from the way Jesus has, uses the word hypocrite that Jesus has now broadened who he's speaking to beyond just his disciples. He knows that the crowds and the religious leaders are within earshot of all that he's saying. And when the disciples hear Jesus say, don't judge or you too will be judged, that's their cue that they are to extend mercy instead of judgment. For, or condemnation to those they come in contact with and ministered to. Did I say that right? It's their cue that they're to extend mercy instead of judgment or condemnation to those they come in contact and minister to. Now the crowds that are there, now their ears will be pricking up as they hear Jesus say, you can expect to be treated differently in my right side up kingdom. Then, then how you've been currently treated by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in whose eyes the people could never, ever measure up to. And the name Pharisee, and I've said this before, it means separated one, because they separated themselves and found guilt and passed judgment on anything and anyone they deemed unholy and unclean. And Jesus calls them hypocrites, because they are obsessed with the sins in other people rather than addressing their own. And notice that Jesus says the word brother, in verse four, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Jesus is specifically talking here about what it means to judge someone in our own like-minded community of believers. 
Jesus uses analogy of a speck of sawdust and a plank or a log. Now, what are they both made out of? They're both made out of wood. And the only difference between them is their size. One is tiny and the other is huge. One partially obstructs your view, but the other totally blocks and obscures your view. And Jesus is brilliant here. He uses these two things that are made from the same material, but different in size to show us that we have a tendency to judge people harshly for a sin that's a lesser version of something that we struggle with. I so relate to this. I can get so annoyed when I see irrational behavior in my girls or when I think they are being so stubborn and overly dramatic. I wonder where they get that from. It's so annoying because it's like me. And when my daughter Shannon was a little girl, she used to say all the time, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. And it used to drive me crazy. But my mom, when she saw her say that, said, you were exactly like that. You said the exact same thing to me when you were her age. And my husband pipes in, nothing's changed. <laughs> so don't judge me. We can have a tendency to be hardest on people with the same sins that we struggle with and that we have. And we hate it. And that can be for a multitude of reasons. It could be something that we're sensitive to that was done to us or that you saw done to someone else. But what can happen is that we can become overly harsh and critical of other people because of it. And that, that's what we do. We self-justify, become self-righteous. We elevate ourselves like we are better than you. We do it all the time in our Christian communities. I mean, you just have to go on Twitter and you won't have to scroll very far to see the hateful things Christians say to one another on a public forum. We can become hypocritical as we expect people to live to a certain standard that we aren't even living up to. And we can become self-righteous when we look down on other people I can't believe he or she said that or thought that or did that. I would never say that, do that, or believe that. Self-righteous people, like Andy Stanley says, and you want some good teaching on this, go check him out. He does this one teaching called Address the Mess. It's absolutely brilliant. But Andy Stanley says this, we dumb down God's holiness to elevate, to elevate our own so we're on the same level. They usurp God's role and they become judge and jury. And consequently, self-righteousness and judgmental people are rarely self-aware. They're rarely aware of how ignorant and arrogant they are. And Jesus says, before you speak to another believer's life about their speck, deal with the plank sin in your own eye. So, does that mean that we are never to confront one another or have that difficult conversation um, as a family of believers when we see that one of us is going astray? Are we meant to just mind our own business and walk away because I have a plank in my eye because of my issues? I mean, Jesus could have said that. Do not judge, take the plank out of your eye and mind your own business, let's pray and dismiss them all from the mountainside. But that's not what Jesus is saying. 
At the end of these passages, Jesus is going to encourage us to move towards each other. But it's only after we have on our knees before God had some serious self-reflection, self-examination, and repentance on our part. We lay our hearts before God and let his spirit shine a light on our sin and blind spots and the planks that we have. And when we've kind of done our business with God and it's not gonna be perfect, it's then that Jesus says, you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now dealing with the plank in my eye (laughs) isn't the end of the process. And I wish it was. It would be easier if it was. It would be easier to just mind my own business after I see the plank in your eye and I deal with my sin. It would be easier to see the sin in your life, recognize that I too have sins and let God sort it and go on my merry way. But Jesus is calling us to move towards one another. You see, the problem with only minding my own business is that it does nothing for their brother or sister whose business needs minding. (laughs) Judge not does not equate to care not, act not, or love not. We're to move towards one another in love and to check our motives before God before we do. If is my intent by confronting a fellow believer, condemnation or restoration? Restoration and reconciliation where possible should always be the goal but we come towards our brother in a posture of humility and a realization that it is by grace that we have been saved, that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 says. And like that old saying, before the grace of God go I. That is the posture we take when we move towards one another. You see, love moves, it doesn't walk away. And Jesus goes on to say, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. (laughs) What a weird passage. You know, I almost called this sermon, Planks, Pigs, Persistent Prefer. That is until I read this verse in the message version that said, Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans (laughs) and trying to be relevant. You're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. So I scrapped that idea. What is Jesus talking about here? Because it is a weird passage. I thought we were talking about specks and logs and now Jesus is talking about pigs and pearls. In Philippians 3, 2, dogs are mentioned as people who are living in total disregard for God. It's like that verse in Proverbs 26 that talks about a dog who returns to his vomit. It's a picture of a hardening of heart and a return to sin over and over and over. And that pre-reference is probably what 2 Peter 2 calls those who are um, prophets and teaching, false prophets and teaching the wrong things. So we have those that deny the truth in the image of the dogs and those who twist the truth or reject um, God outright in the image of the pigs. And Jesus says, do not give them what is holy. What is it that we have to give as Jesus followers that is holy and sacred? It's the gospel. 
we keep sharing the gospel with someone over and over and over who is hard of heart, Jesus says we are casting pearls, scandalous, costly pearls before swine, and we're to be careful or they could turn on you and attack you. And my heart tenders when I think about who Jesus is talking to. It's his disciples. They will be, they will in their time of ministry with Jesus, and especially after he's ascended to heaven, will face and be persecuted by more than their share of dogs and pigs. Jesus is using what you would have learned in your English lit class is hyperbole. He's using extremes examples, extreme, and he does it all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. In essence, Jesus is saying that we will meet people whose hearts are so hard that we are to refrain from continuing to lay before them what is sacred and what is holy. What a scary thought. And Jesus in verse seven says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And um, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice the progression of action. Ask, seek, knock. And asking, you just need to open your mouth and speak. In seeking, there is a more active pursuit going on um, at going after what we want. And knocking, it implies the obstacle of a door. It's a picture that there may be effort and obstacle when we make our requests known to God. So it must not be a one-off deal. Asking, seeking, knocking is a repetitive action. It's repetitive because it will be something that we will care about and be passionate about that we keep going to God with. Listen, church family, at this point of the series, we've heard so much about what it is and what it means and what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. But listen, the church life, and I've said this before, is not just hard. It's impossible to do on our own strength. It is. In this, passage, in this passage, it means in the context of where it lands, sandwiched between how we are to treat each other, we need to ask, seek, knock daily with God to empower us with his spirit so we can be peacemakers, merciful, compassionate, non-judgmental, patient, discerning. Ask, seek, knock, and pray for more wisdom more faith, more strength, courage, love, kindness, and gentleness. Ask, seek, knock as you lay your heart before him for what it is you desire. And then you ask, seek, knock, and you ask him what it is that he desires for your life. And Jesus reiterates the point and he says in the next verse, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? Now that how much more should ring a bell for us because last week we saw Jesus say, your heavenly Father clothes the lilies of the field and he provides food for the birds. How much more will your Father in heaven do for you? In these verses, Jesus is going to put into context He's going to put it into context of daily bread. Rob, can I have that basket down there? Can you pop it up here? 
Now, what is it that the son asks for? He's asked for bread and fish. Which of you, if your son asks for bread or which of you, or if he asks for a fish? Now, isn't there a story about a little boy with some bread and fish? Remember that? Jesus feeds 5,000 people with the boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. And I think this is so interesting because in your mind, how big were those five loaves? <laughs> like, like this size, a baguette or a French roll? I mean, that's a lot of bread for a kid to carry around, five of these. I don't even know how he would do that or, you know, backpacks or whatever. Or is it this size? Five of those. That's still, this is heavy. That's a lot of bread for a little kid to carry around. Or could it be? See, to Jesus' listeners, they wouldn't have thought about a loaf of bread in the way that we think of a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread to them was the size of a bun. And in verse 9, when it says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? What does this bread look like? It looks like a stone. I thought that was so incredible. Remember the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Jesus has been fasting for like 40 days and he's hungry and Satan comes to him and says, if you are really the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And when you are hungry, it would be really easy to imagine stones looking like bread. Even as messed up as we are, we who are parents, when your child asks for a request, you don't give them something that mocks that request. Mom, can I have some bread? Yeah, here, have a stone. It's close enough to, looks like bread. Or if they ask you for a fish, you don't give them something dangerous or something that could harm them. Here's a snake. Looks close enough. Jesus said, if we know how to provide good things for our kids, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And when we ask and when we seek and when we knock, our good, good father for our spiritual daily bread, he will give it. Even Jesus said one time when the disciples were wanting to give him some food, give him some food, he said, my daily bread is to do the will of the one who sent me. And in the Lord's prayer, Jesus tells us to ask God to give us our daily bread. And like it was said, and Rob even said it um, when he was um, announcing, he says, his, when he was praying, he said, his mercies are new every morning. Church, that's bread. <laughs> that's bread. Have you asked your heavenly father for your daily bread, the daily bread of his mercy? And in verse 12, Jesus is going to close this all up. And he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do, for, do to you. In this sums up the law and the prophets. In this one statement, Jesus has just summed up the whole of the Old Testament. This is famously known as the golden rule. And I'm sure you've heard it your whole life in various forms. Other religions have this form of this rule as well, of this verse as well. The Jewish Talmud says, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. And Confucius said, do not to others what you would not wish done to you. And I love how Jesus takes us to a whole nother level. It's not about not doing stuff. It's about um, a proactive thing. It's do to others what you would have them do to you. And how do you want to be treated 
I'm sure a lot of, a lot of us would say that we want to be treated fairly. Now, I thought about this. Do I want to be treated fairly? I don't know. But could it be that deep down, what we all want is preferential treatment? <laughs> yeah. To be made much of? Some of you would be mortified by that prospect, but I think the point Jesus is making is this. Look, in all you do, look for ways to treat people better than they deserve. And yes, that includes people that annoy you, those people yet you run into and you hide from when you see them coming, those family members that drive you crazy, that friend who never does anything for you in return, and that coworker who never, who never gives you credit for your ideas. When your lives intersect with those people, look for ways to treat them better than what they deserve. Why? Why do that? Because that is the way Christ has treated us. We got way better than we could ever deserve. Never have we received such preferential treatment than the Son of God who knew no sin became sin for us and died a brutal death on the cross in our place. If the music team could come out now, that would be great. You know, I had another way that I was going to end this and it was going to be good too. But um, I felt God direct me in another way. Now, these passages are calling us to some deep reflection. And I know I have been personally challenged by them in so many ways. It was a grueling process. I hated every minute of it. But Jesus is calling us to see him clearly. He is calling us to see ourselves clearly. And he is calling us to see one another clearly. Why? <laughs> so we could reflect Christ. So we can reflect Christ to each other and to a broken world. We can see clearly now the plank is gone. <laughs> now let's move towards each other in humility. Let's move towards each other with mercy, compassion, and grace because of the mercy, compassion, and grace that has been extended to us. And as the music team leads us, one, maybe two songs, I don't know, it's up to you, in our pursuit to see clearly, let's take the time to ask our Heavenly Father. Ask him to show you, are there people in your life who you have judged harshly? Are there people in your life who you have sized up and written off? Are there people in your life who you have walked away from after sizing them up? And now God is wanting you to move towards them. And here's the really hard one. Are there people in your life who have tried to talk to you about what may be going on for you, but you have hardened your heart and refused to listen to them. I'm going to ask that you take this opportunity now to let God speak to you. Let us ask, seek, and knock God together. Amen? Amen. Amen.